We're continuing on in our sermons on those figures around the birth of Jesus that we may not talk much about. Today I want to talk to you about my favorite stepfather in the entire Bible, and that's Joseph. Most people don't think of him as a stepfather. I do. I've met a lot of stepfathers across the years and a lot of foster fathers as well. And so I want to celebrate what God has done in and through Joseph for you today. Verse 18 of Matthew 1 reads this way. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But as he, he had no union with her, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we come before you today absolutely astounded and awed by your presence. We're awed by the fact that you use such common people who are, who are yet obedient to you for your purposes. Lord, we thank you for this message. Impart it to us. Open our hearts and minds to your truth, Lord God, that we might be and say all the things that bring you joy. May you be glorified through this message today. Father, thank you. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John Milton said, They also serve who stand and wait. A servant's heart is not an easy thing to have. We don't come by it naturally for any stretch of the imagination. It's something that can't be taught. It's got to be caught. Joseph was that servant. I think about Joseph. I think about him from that little village called Nazareth. He was a carpenter, learned the trade at the elbow of his father, and would teach his sons the trade of carpentry as well. I can see Joseph playing in the dusty streets of Nazareth as he was playing. I can see him from the age of four cognizant of this little girl that was a village member as well. Her name was Mary. From the time that he was basically aware of Mary as a small child, he grew up with her. They played together. They talked together. They learned things together in life. There were three stages of 
marriage in Hebrew society during the time of Jesus. The first stage was when the parents of a boy and the parents of a girl would get together and they would make a decision as to whether or not their two children would be compatible with one another in marriage. And there was all kinds of agreements that went on and negotiation at times. And yet, they had agreed to this. Now, the second stage in the marriage was what we call betrothal or engagement. It was the period that lasted a year. And it was where there was a public announcement that these two individuals were engaged or betrothed, and they would become married at the end of that one-year waiting period, basically, is what it amounted to. And then, of course, the third stage was the actual marriage ceremony where they came together and consummated their, their relationship. Well, this was a betrothal. Joseph was betrothed to, to Mary. They were engaged. And so the only way that this engagement could be ended is by death or divorce because it was binding in the eyes of Jewish law. So now Joseph had a predicament. Mary was pregnant. She came probably came back from her cousin Elizabeth had been to the hill country visiting with her. And Joseph, the Bible says in their language, was she was found to be with child. In other words, it was just discovered. So she's pregnant. Now, how do you explain that? Well, I'm sure she tried to explain it. Would you buy it, men? Joseph, I've been faithful to you, she would probably say. The Lord appeared to me and said, this child is going to be conceived through the Holy Spirit. Now, has that ever happened before? No. Why would Joseph buy that? Now, as he is, is tossing this over in his mind, it's, Nazareth is a village. The grapevine is very fast with its news. He would have to explain a lot of things to his family and friends. What is he going to do? Well, the Bible says that when she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, he had, was in mind to divorce her. There were, there were two options that he was considering. Basically, he could have had her stoned. The, the law tells us in Deuteronomy 22 that that was purely acceptable. But the thought of having Mary, this the girl that he's, he's watched grow up all of his life, he knows the little crinkle of her eyes and the, the crease of her smile, and he, he recognizes her voice and the way she walks and moves, and, and it's just it's been his life growing up. The thought of having her taken perhaps to a cliff and either jumped off or being pushed off and then stoned if there was still any life left in her was more than he could handle. So that wasn't an option at all. Well, the other option was divorce. Now, the Bible says that he could put her away 
quietly. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Well, in, under Mosaic, under the law of Moses, you could give a woman a, what's called a writ of divorcement. And this writ of divorcement would simply say that you are now divorced and she was free to go on her particular way and you yours. Well, that could be done quietly, I suppose, but there would still be some ramifications. He didn't know what to do, quite frankly. He was still struggling with it. Well, there's four things that I want to leave with you today. First of all, he was a righteous man. You know, when you think about the, the nativity scene, the birth of Jesus, you really can't have a Mary without a Joseph. The reason being is because you need a man who is righteous. The Bible says he was righteous. He, God takes righteous people, people who are rightly related to him. Righteous meant that he was obedient to the Lord. He obeyed the laws. He, he did the things that were pleasing to God. And he spent his life in trying to please the Lord. So he was rightly related to God. Being a righteous man, God knew that he would not do anything negative or, or rash impulsively to Mary or to their relationship. He knew that Joseph would be listening to God's instructions as to what steps should be taken in the near future. So he was a righteous man. Secondly, the Bible says that he was an honorable man. Verse 19 says he was not, did not want to expose her to public disgrace because he loved Mary. He was confused. He was, uh, his spirit was disquieted, if you will. He was just perplexed over the whole situation. But his main concern was Mary. What can I do? How can I alleviate this situation to where she's not held up in public ridicule? I don't want to disgrace her. I don't want to do that. I'm not taking her to the Sanhedrin. She's not going before the religious rulers. I'm not going to talk to other people about it. I just, I just quietly want to resolve this situation. Maybe I can do it with a simple writ of divorcement. Well... You see, God's people who are honorable do nothing whatsoever to bring shame on God's people. You want to find out if you're honorable or not, you just make sure that no gossip, no untoward statements are directed toward God's people, uh, that you're not doing anything to uh, debilitate their walk with the Lord. You're not going to discourage them. You're not going to disparage them. You're not going to do anything... Honorable people do not bring disfavor on God's people. And then, you know, stoning was just out. Not, a, not an option for him. Well, he was not only a righteous man and an honorable man, but he was an obedient man. Verse 24 tells you that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Well, he's being obedient. This was the third option proposed by God, an option that Joseph wasn't really even considering. There was stoning. There was divorce. The bottom line is 
I'm going to be separate from Mary. But God said, no, there's a third option. When you're making decisions in your life, whatever they might be, do you ever think that there's just one more possibility out there? And then you begin to seek the Lord's will concerning that? Lord, I've considered these things, and, and these are the options that I'm considering. Is there something else out there? A lot of times God will say, absolutely there is. Let me show you what the other option is. And so when he shows you that other option, it becomes clear as to what path you need to take if you are righteous and honorable as well. Well, are you obedient? He took Mary as his wife. Now, interestingly enough, the Bible also adds that he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. So he kept her pure. He kept her pure. And what did he name the son? Jesus. That's the Greek uh, translation of the word Yeshua or Joshua. And remember who Joshua was in the Old Testament. He was the one that took over from Moses and led the children of Israel into the promised land. This new Yeshua or Joshua, Jesus, would lead the people of the New Testament, New Covenant, into the promised land as well. Wow. So the name Jesus means God saves or the Lord saves, the salvation of God. So he kept her pure and named named the baby Jesus. What a servant's heart that Joseph would do these things. Wasn't expected of him to be this kind of individual. I mean, the, the male segment in Jewish population at that time would have just completely understood if he would have taken the first two options. Stoning or divorce, I understand. It makes a lot of sense to me, they would say. Good on you, Joseph. And so Joseph took God's option, a servant heart. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. So you can figure that if I really want to figure out whether or not I've been obedient, have I really believed? Because if I haven't believed, I haven't been obedient. Belief and obedience are two sides of the same coin. Well, what about this servant's heart that Joseph had? It was asked of Leonard Bernstein, the late great orchestra director, what was the most difficult instrument in the orchestra to play? You know the answer to that. Bernstein said the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra? Second fiddle. You see, when you're in the second chair of any section in the orchestra or band, in the back of your mind, and usually in the front of your mind, you're always saying, yeah, but I should be first. That guy in the first chair, that gal in the first chair is no better than I am. They've just been there longer. And so Bernstein said the most difficult instrument is second fiddle. It is difficult to have a servant's heart. It's not natural. It's unnatural. But it is spiritual. It is something that the Holy Spirit 
begins to work in our hearts where we allow Jesus to become first, others second, and self last. We don't think of ourselves as being anything other than instruments of God's purpose. Wow. You know, Joseph was not the real father. I've known a lot of stepfathers over the years. I've known a lot of foster parents. I know stepfathers who are willing to say, I I recognize that I'm not the biological dad. I will never be, in certain cases, where especially when the children are older, the stepfathers are never considered as their dads. They're never spoken of as their dads. And a lot of times they're never called dad. So Joseph understood that as Jesus was growing up, there was only one father that he had, and Joseph was not it. But he was content as a servant with his role of being second, second fiddle, willing to be second fiddle to God any time of his life. That's why there had to be a a Joseph, there was to be a Mary. Because there's other men out there that could have been married that in the beginning could have been righteous men, honorable men, but they weren't willing to be second fiddle. They weren't willing to, to delegate their role as a father to God. Wow. So Joseph came to realize early on that he would never be the real focal point of that family. Did Jesus have other brothers and sisters? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're listed in the Scripture. The sisters aren't, but the brothers are. And so we know that there were a number of them, but Joseph wasn't the focus. In fact, when you study about Joseph, there's only one other time that you read about him, other than early on in the birth when he takes Joseph and Mary takes Jesus to be dedicated. But then... Fast forward 12 years. Jesus is 12 years of age. And they are in the temple. And as they're coming back from this celebration, it took a day's journey for Joseph to realize Jesus wasn't even in the wagon. They must have had a lot of kids. I mean, they overlooked Jesus. Where where did he go? Well, you'll find him back at the temple teaching. But Joseph knew. Mary pondered these things in her heart. But Joseph knew. At the carpenter's bench, as Jesus is there at his elbow learning the carpentry trade that Joseph was teaching him, he knew this is not going to be his life ambition. When he took him to synagogue to study the Scriptures, he knew. He is going to be the teacher. He knew these things. So it was no surprise at the age of 12 probably that they found him in the temple teaching. Well, Joseph. Joseph had that heart of a servant. Faithful men who served important roles are not always on the front page of the newspaper. In fact, they rarely are. Listen to a couple of examples. There's John Stoppage. You know John Stoppage, right? I mean, everybody, it's just a name that rolls off your tongue. He's the one who led Martin Luther to the Lord. What about John Eglin? He was a little-known preacher back in England. He led Charles Haddon Spurgeon to the Lord. 
And then there's this shoe salesman by the name of Edward Kimball, who also taught Sunday school, that led Dwight L. Moody to the Lord. Well, you don't know about these guys. They had servants' hearts. They were content to be faithful, to be obedient, to be honorable, righteous men before the Lord, and to continue doing what God had asked them to do. Wow. Well, servanthood. I think of Joseph and I think of a servant. Chuck Swindoll put, defined servanthood this way. Servanthood implies diligence, faithfulness, loyalty, and humility. Servants don't compete or grandstand or polish their image or grab the limelight. Servants know their job. They admit their limitations. They do what they do quietly and consistently. Servants cannot control anyone or everything, and they shouldn't try. Servants cannot meet most folks' expectations. Servants cannot concern themselves with who gets the credit. So he says, let's serve in the name of Jesus. Rick Warren would add this. If you only serve when it's convenient for you, you're not a real servant. Real servants do what's needed, even when it's inconvenient. So I didn't see Joseph saying, you know what, I can only be a stepfather, I can only be a dad to to Jesus between the hours of 8 and 5. After that, I'm out of here. True servants are those that serve even when it's inconvenient. Stepfathers, foster parents. I've, I've come across a number of foster parents over the years with uh, children's homes. And these are guys that are just, you, you, you say, these are God's servants to the world. They'll take oftentimes kids who have, have really messed up lives, who have come from dysfunctional families, if they come from families at all, and they come in with their anger and their hostility and their frustrations and, and their lack of love into a family environment and these foster fathers come in or stepfathers and just wrap their arms around them and say, listen, I'll be here. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to be right here and we're going to work this thing out. We're going to work it out. Oh, boy, that was Joseph. Of course, he didn't have to worry about anger and all that other hostility with Jesus. But still, as a stepfather, he had to understand, I'm not first. Second fiddle, that's where I need to be. That's who I am. That's what God has called me to be. In my role of being faithful, being righteous, being honorable and obedient, this is who I am. This is who God has called me to be. And I'm content with being obedient to the mission ahead. Wow. What happened to Joseph? We don't know. To theologians, it's an important quest. But to you and me, we just know that his reward is great indeed. Well, you're here this morning, and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't know what to say to you at that point other than the fact that, that Jesus is not only the reason for the season, He's the reason for everything. 
I can tell you if Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you need. Jesus is the answer. Way back in the 70s, we had that campaign going on, Christ is the answer. Some smart aleck cynic had a bumper sticker that said, so what was the question? I wanted to pull up next to him and roll down the window and say, it doesn't matter. He's the answer to everything. And so it sounded cute, you know, when he put it on his bumper. But here we have the situation. Maybe you don't tr- you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Christmas is a season that you want to come to church. That's what you do twice a year, perhaps. But for all of us, just know that Jesus has given an emptiness in your heart and in mine that can only be filled by him. It can only be filled by him. There's going to be that emptiness, that vacuum in your heart. You can, you can seek out any pleasure you want to, but it will never fulfill you. Only Christ can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Joseph knew it. Mary knew it. Finally, the brothers and sisters knew it after the resurrection. They finally learned it. And so you can know it too by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Secondly, maybe you've never followed him in public profession of faith or baptism by immersion. This is in obedience to what the Lord has asked you to do. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way, which means that God's not going to tell you to take the third step until you've been faithful in the second step. Have you repented? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you followed him in baptism? Where are you stuck? And then for all of us, there are those of you here that are looking for a church home. We have a church home for you. We have a church family, a family that will embrace you, will love you, and you come alongside us and serve the Lord as a servant. Not to be served, but to serve. We have a place for you right by our side. For all of us, this is a time of invitation. This is a time of decision. Won't you come? Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are today and for always, forever, for all eternity, Lord. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are all and in all. You, Lord, are the reason for our existence, not only in this life, but in the life yet to come. Father, thank you. Be with us today. May we make a decision to bring glory to you and you alone, and thank you. Father, thank you for these decisions. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.